0: We're in John chapter three. Isn't is an exciting chapter? And I appreciate you all being here for it. This is a challenging message for us this morning. It's when Jesus meets the teacher of Israel, Nicodemus. I know I've said this a few times. I'm going to say it again. Uh, if you haven't seen the Chosen series yet, you uh, see the Chosen just for this scene alone. If you've been through John chapter three, go watch the meeting of Nicodemus and Jesus with him. The compassion that is there. Nicodemus is an excellent character. Because uh, I think if you watch that episode, watch it to the end and see some of the wrestle that he has, It's just a beautiful story. And so they've done a good job uh, putting this together. But this is Nicodemus, the teacher of Israel. And he's asking, who are you? We've seen the miracles that you're doing. You've come forth here. You come right to the temple, you know, because uh, we start out chapter 2. He does the first miracle and then he goes to the temple. He flips over the tables. And then now he's met with Nicodemus after he's performed miracles there for that day. And And so this is... Very early in his ministry, so he's just on the scene, and he's already got that leader of Israel coming to him. That's an entrance. You know, that's that's making, coming out with your ministry. It's kind of not like, hey, we're in Trafalgar in the cornfield. Do you want to come here? You know, it's like, no, it's just, you know, they came to him to see what he's doing. So Jesus jumps right to the gospel. And he says, who sent you? No one can do these things unless God sent him, and he jumps right to the gospel. That's his message. That's his goal, right? He's wanting men to be saved. That's why Jesus came. And he goes right to the gospel because Nicodemus knows the law. We have other encounters with Jesus where people come to him trying to justify himself and he takes him through the law like, oh, how many husbands do you have? You know, showing you that you last night commit adultery or, hey, do you love your brother or do you love money more? And so he uses the law to convict sinners, but someone who knows the law and knows where it is, he jumps right to the gospel. I'm telling you, I'm here. I'm here. To save mankind. Jesus doesn't have to take him through the commandments. You know, he knows all these. He knows all the commandments. As a matter of fact, that was his job, full-time trying to be a law keeper. They would call him lawyers, different than the lawyers that we would think of. But he's a Pharisee uh, that does this. And Jesus tells him, why am I here? You must be born again. And he gives it to him in such a way that Nicodemus is like, I'm a little confused. <laughs> We've been born once. How's that happen? And he's like, no, this is a spiritual birth. The Spirit giving you new life. This confuses Nicodemus. And Jesus says, it's like, Watching the spirit work is like watching the wind as it blows things about. You can't see the wind, but you see the effects of the wind. You can watch the leaves blow. You can see the limbs as they move, and and you know where the breeze is, and the breeze is moving because you can see these. The same thing with the spirit. You might not be able to see him. He's invisible, but you can see lives change. You can see people behaving differently. You can see how they react towards God and their desire to be with him. He goes. You can see the transformation take place, and so he's trying to waken him up to spiritual things by using a natural explanation. Jesus then uses the Old Testament because Nicodemus is struggling. Let me tell you a Sunday school story. <laughs> and so he goes and he gives them the story of, about Moses lifting the serpent up on the pole. A brief recap of when we cover that is they're in the wilderness. They're going from Egypt to the promised land and they were complaining and God sends a plague of fiery serpents, that calls them. They come and bite them. And they quickly repent, and I would too if a snake was after me. <laughs> I'd be like, I've got to get things right. I don't want snakes chasing me all the time. I have to be looking in my shoes, looking under my bed, watching where I'm walking. You know, so they say, we have sinned against you. We have sinned against God. We have said these things. You know, Please do something about these fiery serpents because it was fatal if you got bit. God gives them a strange way to deal with it. He says, make a brass serpent, put it up on a pole. If you look at it, you live. There's no serpent killing party. There's no antidote for this. Look at this pole and live. It was an act of faith. An act of trust, an act of taking God at his word. Seems silly to some. Like, look at a snake on a pole. I'm dying of a snake bite. You know, look at a snake on a pole. And some refuse to do it. That just seems impossible. How could that ever work? That doesn't make any sense to me. It's not logical. That's not always logical. <laughs> In the sense that we would see things. God has his way. And he said, I'm trying to teach you about faith. Teach about trusting me. Look and live. And those that looked, lived. Well, Jesus tells Nicodemus why he's here. So here it is at the start of his ministry. First week, maybe? First month, at least. He's doing this. I'm not sure how much time has passed. He says, I'm going to be lifted up to save mankind. Look at that. I think it's um, 3, verse 14. John 3, verse 14. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. He says, I'm going to be lifted up. He's talking about the cross. First week of his ministry. This is why I'm here. Well, it's not a big shock, and I've always watched some kind of movie or TV portrayals of Jesus. It's always like some tragedy. It's like, oh, here he is doing this good, and then they killed him. He knew why he came. He knew he came to die. Here he is early on. Oh, meeting with the teacher of Israel. I've come to die. They're going to lift me up on a pole, but if they look to me, they'll live. He's finishing the Old Testament stories. It's a type. It's a shadow. It's pointing the way to me that if men would look into me, that they can live because they're dying because of sin. So I'm going to be lifted up Then all people through time can look to me and they can live. Look to him and he will save them. He'll save them from perishing. He's going to give them everlasting life. And so the same thing that happened with the serpent. They were dying. If they looked, they lived and they had life. If you're dying in your sin, you'll die and spend eternity in hell. But If you look to Jesus Christ for salvation, you will live. You'll have salvation. You'll live with him in heaven for all eternity. The serpent symbolized sin. We talked about that. It represents sin. It. It's not a hard grasp for us. It's like, I think even in our culture, you know, we use snakes as something evil and, and bad, and so that represented sin. That is a fiery serpent, which in the Hebrew actually means a brass serpent because that was something that they could put in the fire and it wouldn't be consumed. Brass represents judgment to the Jew. And so the fiery serpent on the pole represents sin judged. A serpent made out of brass represented sin being judged. And Jesus says, that's going to be me. You're going to look at me, I'm, I am sin being judged when I'm on the cross. And matter of fact, when the serpent, the sin being judged is up on a pole, it's between heaven and earth, that's where everything that happened in the tabernacle took place on these silver boards up off the ground. It wasn't like they just built a tent and you walked in, they had a floor in there, uh, silver represents blood, and so they would come in and they would walk on that, between heaven and earth, this transaction would take place. That's why Jesus Christ was crucified. He's between heaven and earth, doing this transaction for us, mediating uh, between man and God, suffering and paying the death penalty for us. All kinds of symbology going on here, all kinds of deeper meaning as we look at this. And Jesus is saying, it's all pointing to me. This is who I am. This is what I'm going to do. Jesus is going to do this. He will die on the cross in three years. He'd be hanging between heaven and earth, and he'll be paying the penalty for our sin. He didn't sin. But he is there taking the punishment for us. He will be sin judged hanging on the cross. That's what I think of when I think of it. I think of that should have been me. That should have been me up there dying. And he is now doing this in my place. Verse 15, he says, That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. Anyone who looks to Jesus to save them, he will save them and give them eternal life. Whosoever. I've got circled in my Bible so it jumps out to me. I have a passion for the whosoever verses because it was one of the first verses that I understood when I was lost that made me be found, is that he died for me. That if Brian believes in him, he should not perish but have everlasting life. Put your name in there. If you haven't repented and trusted in Jesus Christ, you haven't looked to him for life, here's your opportunity, here's what you do. Anyone who looks to him will be saved. Why? Verse 16, says he made it free and available. This is why it could happen. Verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He made it free and available. He's published it around the world. He's made it our great commission to go and tell. If you repent and trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, it becomes your job. What do I do for Christ? Go tell others. Go tell them that he died on the cross for them. Go tell them that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Uh, We talked about Tim Tebow using that verse on iBlack and how people Googled it and became one of the number one Google things in 24 hours, 94 million people one time, 91 million people next time, about how people who wear it on t-shirts and people who put it out there, it's out there. Chances are if uh, a hotel still has a Bible, which sadly, more and more hotels are getting where they don't have Bibles, they have other books, but if it's there, if you turn to John 3.16, there's usually a square drawing around it or written from... Especially if I've been there. But (laughs) I'll square around, I'll mark it up and put a Roman drone to put it in there. Stick a gospel track. It's something that people know, you know, even if they're not necessarily Christians or go to church. It's something that they've heard of or at least seen. It's in our culture. We're supposed to preach it. We're supposed to teach it. We're supposed to let people know it's the commission for us. Right? It's the commission it means it's our job that he's given us to go let people know about this, that Jesus Christ has died for their sins. You see it on billboards. You see it on bumper stickers. You see it on T-shirts. You, know, you see it on YouTube videos. You see it in movies. It's like stuff that is out there that Christians use the creativity that God has given them and say, let's publish this. Let's make it abroad. Let people know here's how they can have their sins forgiven. You know, we fill stadiums and we preach it. We have rock concerts and we insert the gospel. We have all these different ways to present the gospel in this way. We want to let people know that sin has been judged for you. That if you look to Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can be saved. Anyone can. Whosoever can be saved. Whosoever will look at him and live and have eternal everlasting life. That's the gospel. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And that he was buried and that he rose the third day according to the Scriptures. The Old Testament foreshadowed it. Jesus Christ fulfills it. He will save you If you ask him, he does not reject anyone. He does not turn anyone away. Oh, not you. No, no. I know who you are. He knows who you are. He's made it available for you. That's why he came. He came to die for you. Look at Romans 6. Hold your spot here, but learn to Romans 6. In verse 23, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord wages of sin we don't mostly talk about that but the payment i go to my job and they give me wages wages for putting hours in there that's my payment because i've come there here the wages or the payment for my sin is death that's what i get that's why there's graveyards men die one out of one the ultimate statistic because men all men sin all men die the wages of sin is death but the gift of god gift a gift is something that is no charge no cost it's a free gift there's no payment. It's a present. So the present of God or the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. He dies on your behalf so that you could have salvation. It is free. It cost him everything. He gives you everything. He'll give you forgiveness of sin. He died on your behalf. Free gift. Look at Romans chapter 10. Romans 10 and verse 9. Romans 10, 9 says, that if thou wilt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. I like this verse. Thou shalt be saved, not might be saved, not maybe be saved, not could be saved, or we'll see you the end saved. No, thou shalt be saved. You repent of your sins, believe in Jesus Christ, know that he's died on the cross on your behalf, that he was buried, and that he rose again. You can be saved. You put your faith and trust in him. It's here. It's free. It's available. It's a free gift. Look at verse 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He makes it universal. For if anyone, anyone who asks for this salvation can have it, It it's free. There's no restrictions against it. Nothing. Shall be saved. Verse 14. How then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? Or how shall they believe on him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? They got to hear about this. Salvation is free of available, so that's why it's our commission. Go tell people about this, that Christ died on the cross so that your sins could be forgiven and you can have eternal life. You can be reconciled with God. Let them know. They've got to hear. The answer is out there. And so that's why we have the Great Commission. We must go and tell them. Jesus is the only way. Downstairs with the kids, we have some sign songs that we like to do. And when Elaine and I used to do them together, I always worked the sign I'm up here and I don't have my signs. I was going to bring them, but I didn't. We have one that's called Jesus is the only way. It looks like one way sign. One way God said to get to heaven. Jesus is the only way. We sing that. And we teach it to them because there's just one way. There's no other way. That's how the chorus goes. No other way. No other way. No other way I know. There's one way through Jesus Christ. We got to tell them. How do they hear unless there's a preacher? That doesn't just mean Brian get up there and tell them. That means it's for each and every one of us to tell them. When we leave gospel tracks. that's why we put it out there, and he puts you next to the neighbor that you're next to, and you work at the job where you work, because that's your mission field, and the family that you have, and the people on your block, and all that, that's where you go and, and proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, to let him hear about this. Look at John 14, John 14, and verse 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me one way. No man comes but by him. One way. He uses some different images for us here. There's I'm truth. I'm life. Later he'll say I'm the door. I'm the way to enter it. There's only one way. It's through me. I remember talking to a guy at work one time and he said, he goes, well, we're all trees reaching for the sun, Brian. I'm like, I've never seen a tree make it. (laughs) They get so tall. There's some tall trees. None of them reach the sun. That's religion. I said, but Christianity is that Christ came down and died for us. It's free for you. It's a free gift. If you repent and trust in him, you can have salvation. It is there. There's one way. A lot of different trees. There's one way to get to heaven. It's to repent and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Look at Acts chapter 4. Acts 4 and verse 10. Acts 4, verse 10 says, Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel That the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. If someone had been healed. Verse 12, we'll skip a verse. Verse 12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. There's one way, Jesus Christ. There's one man, one Savior, Jesus Christ. habit of mine that I've told you before is that Whenever I see a new dictionary or any dictionary, I pick it up and I look up the word Savior. It never let me down yet. Jesus Christ. Even Webster's gets it right. Savior. There's only one. Only one person claims to be Savior. Jesus Christ. Even Webster's points to this. Jesus is the only way. It's not your works. It's not all the great things you've done. It's not all the great acts you perform. It's not baptism. It's not getting dunked in front of people. It's not getting wet. That is not it at all. And I could take you to verses about that. It's not Krishna. He's not the way of salvation. Lighting yourself on fire in an airport. That's not going to do it. it. It's not Joseph Smith. It's not Brigham Young. It's not a Mooney. It's not Buddha or Confucius. It's not Stalin or Satan. There's all kinds of different religions. There's all kinds of different ways. It's not Wicca. It's not uh, magic. It's not any of these occultic things. None of that. There's one way by which we may be saved. Jesus Christ. There's no other name. Jesus Christ. One way. Through Jesus Christ. Christ crucified, buried, risen again on the third day turn back to john 3 so only jesus death on the cross and your belief in that can save you what's it saving you from it's saving you from the penalty of your sin which is hell how long is that forever how terrifying that very scares me that's why jesus came to earth he doesn't want bible says he's not willing that any should perish He doesn't want people. That's not the default setting. The hell was made for the devil and his angels. It's not even made for mankind. Because we've rebelled against him, it becomes a place for us. That's why Jesus came to earth. Save all mankind. To make a way out. To make it easy for them. And to make it available and proclaim it around the world. That's why we're still talking about 2,000 years later. There's a way in which man can be saved. Repent and trust in Jesus Christ. The finished work that he has done for you. There's no other way you can be saved except for Jesus Christ. And so we point them to that. So verse 17, which follows verse 16. <laughs> it says, For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Condemn means judge. You could insert that. So for God sent not his son into the world to judge the world. He will the second time. When he comes back, he comes to judge the world this time he came to save the world. That's why he came. He why he came not to judge, but he came to save it. Verse 18, he that believeth on him is not condemned, but that he believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the state of all mankind. And notice it's not future. Oh, you're going to be judged one day. You're already being judged. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. You're in the state of judgment. You're in this position. You're going to be judged by God. God is holding you accountable. Condemned or judged already. Why? Because you haven't taken the cure. There's a cure available and you've not seized upon it. So you're walking around in your lost state. They've not trusted in the finished work of Jesus Christ. They're living their life as if he means nothing to them. It's like, who's Jesus? He's just some guy. And they're living their way that way. And God says, but they're condemned. They're condemned already. I've come down to rescue them. I didn't come down to judge them. I came down there to make it free and available and publish it and let it be known. That's why I think instantly here, he's got the attention of the leaders and they're coming. Why are you here? I'm gonna let you know. I'm here to save mankind. Publish it. Make my name go abroad. And, and it is. And here we hold a Bible, which is the number one selling book of all time. Every year sets that record. Verse 19. And this is the condemnation The light is coming to the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. They reject him. How many people know who Jesus Christ is, but they reject him? They're like, well, I don't like flat-out rejecting him. I just don't embrace him. He's all right. He might be a great teacher. He's a good lesson. I'll put him up there in one of my top three, top three people of all time. Jesus Christ, he's up there. He's not my Savior. And then there's others that just neglect him. I've heard about him. Yeah, I know there's a church. I know people talk about it. And I know, I've seen crosses. And I might even have a tattoo that has him on there or something. You know, it's like, he's, I'm interested in him. Saw somebody had a tattoo and they had number 33. And they were asking him why that. He goes, oh, because Jesus Christ fascinates me. And that's how old he was when he died. And I'm like, but not enough to embrace him. And there's some people that just doubt him. <laughs> okay, yeah. He saved me. He's who he said he is. He's just a Jewish guy that people killed. Why would we make such a big deal about it? Then there's those who flat out mock him and make it a thing to go about and mock and make fun of him, hang him on a cross upside down, have the enemy's name tattooed on their hand or their forehead or something like that. They never thank him. They never think about him. They never talk about him. They never embrace him. They never worship him. They never ask him to be their savior. He's just not for me. Glad you like him, but he's not for me. I just don't have any time right now. Maybe when I'm older, I'll think about Jesus and who he is and what he's done. I'm just really too busy. I'm focusing on my career, my family, my fun, my fishing, you know, whatever it might be that they're focusing on. You know, it's my weekend. It's my life. Why give up a day? Why give up a morning? Why give up my money? You know, why do all that? Because it just seems like church and money. They're trying to take it from you. And one day maybe, but, but not now. Jesus says this reveals who they are. That their deeds are evil. Verse 20, for everyone that doeth evil hateth the light. That's his words. Hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. They stay away from him, lest they get exposed for who they are. Because you know, when you stand against purity, all of a sudden you see how impure you are. I heard a story about a, a little girl. I was in the back of a car, and they were driving on this hillside. And there was a lamb up there, like, "Oh, look how pretty white that lamb is! Dad, he's so bright white." And then while they were gone, it had snowed. And on the way back, they're like, look at that dirty sheep. It was the same sheep, but against the backdrop of pure snow. And now he looked dirty. Against the green hill, he looked like he was pure. But we don't like that. We don't like to be compared against perfection because then we see our imperfections. Usually if you're around church people before you're a Christian, you're like, oh, you're all holier than thou and well, oh, I can't be as good as you. You know, that's awful Christian of you. And you know, they mock and make fun of you because it makes them feel guilty just by you being there because you're faithful and obedient, going to his house and reading his word and talking about him. It brings conviction on them even just by your presence. It makes them uncomfortable. He says because their deeds are evil. And they don't want to be exposed. They don't want that to be brought into the light. They're gonna keep it quiet in the dark to themselves. They don't want to be corrected. They don't want to be reproved, like, oh, this is what you're doing wrong. You need to work on that. No, they love their life. They love their sin. They live for it. Can't wait to the weekend to be able to do whatever it is or to get off work or to whatever. They love it. Some people even make it their job. They don't want to stop. They don't want to change. No, I'm young. I'm going to college. I'm going to do all I can. You know, maybe later. Maybe I'm going to do this or I just love doing that and I just can't see myself giving that up. They love their sin, and Jesus just calls them on it. You love your sin more than you love light. Your deeds are evil. Verse twenty-one: But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be manifest; they are wrought in God. Those he puts into action that they they doeth doeth truth. They want truth, and so you come before God and you say, "Expose me. Tell me who I am." When you're in God's light, spotlight's on you. You're not hiding anything. He sees it all. Every thought, every word, every deed, every motive, every action, every inaction, he knows. It's exposed. It's laid bare before him. He sees us in our state. It's not pretty. But you've come to him and you're saying, Lord, I know who I am. I know I can. Save me. I know I deserve hell. I remember that last week before I asked Christ to save me. I was 13. Every night I was afraid I was going to die and go to hell. Because I knew that's where I deserved to go. It terrified me. I was like, I can't wait till Sunday. I wish I would understood. I could have done it in my bedroom right then and there. I can't wait till Sunday. I'm going to go forward. I'm going to get these things right. Turn to him to be rescued. I'm drowning. I'm dying. I'm going to hell. Save me. It's that kind of desperation. I was a lifeguard. and One of the things they taught us is like, make sure the person you're saving's drowning and they want to be saved. If not, they can drown you. If you walk out there and get someone, you're like trying to put them in this cross chest carry and get them. They'll try to drown you. And lifeguards have been drowned by someone like, what are you doing? Get away from me. And they start freaking out, you because know, they think you're trying to drown them or something. Pull them down. You got to let them down. You're desperate. I'm here to help you. Because they usually swim up. You come up before them. I'm a lifeguard. I'm going to help you. And then you go and you do your little thing and get them in that cross chest carry and pull them across. But you have to let them know. If not, they're going to fight you off. You have to come to that point where we're like, Jesus, I need saving. Help. It was one of our pool games. And you know, we play in the water and do the whole hand. Two, one, then we dip down and go to the bottom of the pool. Like, oh, now I'm going to do the dead man's float for a while. One of our kid games we play in the above ground pool in the backyard or whatever. It's like that. We've got to acknowledge that we're drowning and that we need saved, and Jesus Christ will save us. Come to it. We have to humble ourselves. He's going to expose it all. You're going to come and cling before him. He knows it anyway. Get in front of it. Come and ask him to judge you and to save you. And I'm glad that the Bible says that while we were yet enemies, Christ died for us. He knows where we are. There's no cleaning yourself up. There's no getting things right. You get right with him, and then he'll start working on you. That was John chapter 2, right? He'll start turning over those tables and exposing sin. And then he gives you new life. You're born again. That circles back to where Jesus started. I'm trying to explain to you what born again is. It's a spiritual transaction. When you repent and trust in the finished work of what I've done, you'll have new life. I'll take out your heart. Heart of stone, and I'll give you a heart of flesh. It is a heart transplant. I make you a new creature. It's like you've been born again. And you can see the Spirit start to move in your life. And you can see those effects and say, man, the Spirit is transforming me like wind blowing through a tree. All because I've looked and lived. I looked to Jesus Christ to save me. Verses 17 through 20 are all about those who reject Jesus. It tells us that they are already judged and that the longer that they live knowing that who Jesus is and what he's done, and they don't repent and trust in him, that they are adding to their rebellion against God and his good son. Psalms tells us, kiss the son lest he be angry with you. You don't want to be here when he comes back to judge. And every time you delay, you're just not only rebelling, but you're rejecting God and you're rejecting his free gift. And so then the more judgment piles to your account, or treasures up as the Bible would say, and so in the day of judgment, you have more that you're accountable for. And these are the people who know who Jesus is. They know what Jesus has done. They understand the crucifixion. Jesus died on the cross. Maybe they might be not sure about all of it. They know he died. They know it was something about to save mankind. They've heard John 3.16. They know what they need to do. Maybe even look at him. You know, like if you go back to the one about the serpent, they know I just need to look, but it seems silly. I don't see how that was going to work. So their intelligence, they, they refuse to because it doesn't make sense to them, or they don't look to Jesus Christ. They don't want to repent and trust in him. They're just not moved to do it. They're just not motivated. like, I just don't see that working. So they don't. They know all these things. They have a head knowledge of it, but they've never seen the practical application or et cetera. They love their sin, as Jesus says, and they love their deeds. They don't want them to be brought into the light. And they're like, I really want to do this for a few more years. I really think I can enjoy this for a little while longer before I get right with him. And then I know he's going to take those things away. That shows you love your sin and you love who you are and what you're doing more than salvation, more than your own soul. They don't want to change. So they're afraid that Jesus will start changing them and they won't love that sin anymore and they'll feel guilty for it and they'll have to be like, I have to quit that and I don't want to. Paul in Hebrews puts it this way. If you turn to Hebrews chapter 10, I think Paul wrote Hebrews, Hebrews 10, he paints it in a very graphic way. Hebrews 10, we'll start verse 26, we'll kind of get a head start. Hebrews 10. 26 says, For if we sin willfully, after that we receive the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. Okay, we understand who Jesus is, we understand what he's done, and we go all right about our life sinning. He's like, what other sacrifice are you going to get? Am I have to offer you something else besides Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ is the only way we've already seen, right? So where else are you going to go? So what do they have to look forward to? They have, verse 27, But they have a certain fearful looking for the judgment and the fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Oh, how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy, who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God, hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing, and hath done despite the Spirit of grace. Little King Jamesy there. I think we get the gist of it, though, so that God loves you enough that he sent his Son down to be a sacrifice for your sin. Jesus Christ, in advance, goes and pays for your sin. He suffered on the cross for the sins of the world. He has paid for your sins. It is a free gift, available and waiting for you to claim that prize, waiting for you to claim that present. It is here, but you must come and pick it up and apply it to your life. But It is there and it is done. And you hear about it, and you know about it, that he's died, that he's risen, that he rose again for your sins, and that he's paid all that, but you've not taken advantage of it. And that's what we need to realize, that Jesus Christ's suffering is him suffering as if it was you that he stood on the cross and he is paying for the sin that you should have paid for through all eternity. He is taking the blows from God's hand. He is taking God's wrath. He is taking that all out upon him. It is shocking when you think about what he's doing. When I think about all the sins that I should pay for throughout all eternity and never satisfy, since I sinned against the eternal holy God, that I'd have to then paying for that and saying, you're right. you're right, this is who I am, this is what I deserve. That Jesus Christ would take all that, that he would suffer all that for me, but because he is God, he could satisfy it within that time frame. So Jesus suffers and died in your place as if he is you being judged. And so it's like him being you there, taking all this punishment so that God can say, oh, your sin's been paid for. You've been commuted. And so when you repent and trust in him, that transaction happens. And all of a sudden, God sees you as sinless because your sins have been paid for on the cross through Jesus Christ. If not, you have to go pay for it for yourself. That's all happened. He's done this. You can have everlasting life. You can live forever in heaven throughout all eternity. Joy and food and family and peace and, and life and everything good that you want to have now that you would work for that you think of a vacation is or a holiday or retirement or whatever it is your, your golden dream. Is. Heaven would be all that. And you know that Christ has done all this and he's done it for you. And you're like, ah, I think I'll do it myself. But someone has suffered and died in your place and you're like, I really don't want to be bothered with that or I really don't think that applies to me right now. I really love my sin. I like drinking. I really love pornography. I really love gossip. I really love whatever it is that you don't want to have to give up and have God working on in your life. I'd love that more to be doing that. Or you just see it all and you're like, Christ died for my sins. Eh, okay, thanks. And you just shrug it off. Look how, look how he puts it, verse 29. How much sore the punishment suppose ye be ye thought worthy of, this part, who hath trodden under the foot the Son of God. I guess the way my mind when I first read this verse and meditated on it, I was thinking about, under the foot of the Son of God. It's like a cigarette butt. Like I'm on the streets of Nashville, only place I really walked on sidewalks. Streets of Nashville, stepping on the ditch there where all the sand and bottle tops used to be and all that stuff. And there's a cigarette butt. And I might notice it and I think, who threw their cigarette out? The world's their ashtray. I step on and walk on by. No big thing to me. That's how we would treat the Son of God. Oh, he died for my sins. He suffered and died in my place, that he would suffer and pay all the penalty that should have been me in hell. and hell. And yet he did all that for me. And I just say, yeah, let's walk across him. No big deal. Like some cigarette butt in a ditch. Treat him as nothing. Whoa. Talk about an insult. Someone has suffered and died in your place, and you're like, eh. Talk about an insult. Talk about adding to the wrath of God. Jesus said, you're condemned already. That you're already started out in that state. And we're all there, right? Romans 3.23. three. We're all of sin and come short of the glory of God. But now... I'm not only have you done that, you know, not only have you just sinned, but now you've rejected the only way that you can have your sins forgiven, and you treated it as if it was trash on the street, you trampled under the foot the Son of God. How much more sore are the punishment! Right? How much more? Verse 29, how much more sore the punishment you suppose? Now you're just not like a sinner in his wrath. You're a sinner in his wrath that has now rejected the only way that you have for an escape. You've rejected Jesus Christ. You've treated his love as if it was trash. You treated the gift of his only son, suffered in your place, and you're like, no, thank you. I would not want to be in that. As a matter of fact, he goes on to look at verse thirty-one. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Wow, to reject God's help, to say no. Then be mad at him, probably. That's how a lot of people are. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hand of a living God. And he's like, I made salvation available to you. I made sure you knew it and you understood it. I put it in football games end zones because I knew you liked football. I put it in NASCAR because I knew you liked racing. I put it at the Olympics because I knew you liked that. I put it in a gospel track. Remember when you found it in that case of beer? Remember when you found it on your door? Remember when you had it mailed to you? Remember that video? Remember when your favorite show was supposed to be on, but it was a Billy Graham crusade? Remember when I had your radio station flip to that channel and you heard this song and you saw that movie and you're like, Kirk Cameron, I know. Oh, he is all fireproof. What is that? And you have all these different things that brought your path across the gospel. And you're like, no thanks. Why didn't you tell me, God? I did. Reminds me of the story of the guy in the flood, right? And he's up on top of the house. And send a log by. Like, no. Oh, then he sends a boat by. No, I think I can get this on myself. He sends a helicopter. And they're like, no, no, no. I think we can do it on our own. And he dies. And God's like, why didn't you save me? And he's like, I sent a log, a boat, a helicopter. You know, I sent salvation to you, and you rejected all of them. Man, how much more? That pales in comparison. I sent my son. He died for you. He suffered in your place. Now you're going to have to suffer throughout all eternity those things that he paid for that you trampled under the foot, plus you insulted me and my son. It's a fearful thing to be in the hands of an angry God, a holy God, a living God. That's scary. That's why Jesus came, so that we don't have to go and suffer. That's why we don't have to go to hell, so we don't have to do that. That's why he made it free, available, and easy. That's why he's made it published. That's why it's out there, and we see it, and we know about it. Amen that we live in the United States of America, where the gospel is proclaimed, and it's where we see it. It's in the hotel rooms, and it's on the television. It's on the radio. It's on the t-shirts, and it's allowed to be preached, and we can gather together and study it, and we can put it on sermon audio, and we can stick it everywhere that we can. Yeah, I fear for those countries where it's harder, but we're here now back to John 3. He came to save us. John 3 verse 17. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn it or to judge the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He came to save us. Verse 18. He that believeth on him is not condemned. If you've repented and trusted in Jesus Christ, that judgment is passed off you. It's put on Jesus Christ. God judged Jesus as if it was you. He put all his wrath upon him. You've now escaped that judgment. There's no condemnation to us. If you've repented and trusted in Jesus, it's all upon him. He has taken all that. So he that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. He's like, he's already in that lost state. When you're born, when you're born sinners, you're in that lost state. You have to have a change. You have to have a new birth experience. You have to be born again. Have you ever been born again? Have you ever come to the realization that you're a sinner and that you need Jesus Christ as your Savior to the point where it radically changed you? And you see that spirit working in your life. If not, you need that. Because he says here, you're condemned already. It's a sad place to be because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God, only in Jesus Christ, the only way that we can have salvation. So, sadly, I personally, as a Sunday school teacher back in the day, have had arguments over this text, that people use this as a proof text for them to never share the gospel. Christians saying that, oh, I would never want to tell anybody about Jesus Christ. What? That's a great commission, right? Why would you never want to tell anybody about Jesus Christ? Well, if I tell them, that's just adding to their suffering. And now they know who Jesus Christ is and they reject him. I've just added to that. I'm doing my kindest thing I could do. I will never tell them about Jesus. Will they die and go into hell? Yeah, but not near as hot. I don't know who you are. (laughs) I don't know what Bible you're reading. No, this is the only way out. It's the only answer. It's the only way by men may be saved. Jesus Christ is the only way. You know, we've looked at several verses that have said this. And so, but people try to use this as an example not to witness. This is the gift to the world. You're like, oh, the biggest gift I could do is not tell them about it. What? What kind of convoluted, lazy thinking is that? No, you need to get up off your seat and tell somebody. We need to let them know. We're violating the Great Commission if we do not do it. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He even covers the basis for it. Practice on cows. Practice on your cat. Practice on you know, every creature. Practice on them. I practice, I don't, I don't know how many days a week. I share the gospel to my Jeep. I don't know. An inanimate object. not a creature. But I, but I practice again and again. Like, boy, if I was in this circumstance, how would I tell them about the good news of the gospel? Seems like I'm missing something, so I'll go listen to a sermon again, or I'll go listen to this and and go back over. I want to be fresh and ready and have it clear and understood in my mind so I can tell, like, today might be the day someone comes and and I have this perfect opportunity. I want to be ready for that. I don't want to violate this. I don't want to be a slothful servant. I think Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, sums it up pretty well. He says concerning this, Have you no wish for others to be saved? Then you are not saved yourself. Be sure of that. I think that's probably more of the case. Because if you're like him, if you're a son of God, and you're trying to be a Christian in his image, he came to save the lost. The first thing, you know, Pharisees come to him, hey, you must be born again, I'm going to be lifted up on a pole, you must repent and trust in me. He tells them the good news of the gospel. Shouldn't that be our gospel message that we are sharing? Shouldn't that be the words on our lip to share the good news of the gospel? Not like, "Ah, I don't want to add to your condemnation. I'm not even getting to the argument that people are like, well, what about those who've never heard? It's our job to make sure that no one has never heard, that we go and tell them the gospel. That's why we support missionaries. That's why we proclaim the good news of the gospel. That's fascinating to see on our sermon audio that we have it in Slovenia and we have it in Croatia and we have it in South Africa and all these different countries in China the good news of the gospel is getting out to them and they're understanding it from a Hoosier point of view. I'm hoping they understand all the local jokes and things. but it's there but I'm proclaiming the gospel. It's going forth that we are to do it. Do you have a concern for the lost? As Spurgeon said, if you don't, then you're not saved yourself. And I think that's, he's right in saying that. Now, does that mean all of us are out there, missionaries on the streets and hitting the pavement and doing it all the same way? No, it's different for different people. thousands of different ways that you can share the good news of the gospel. Story of uh, someone in the church's daughter, phone call from a telemarketing deal. They got done, there. are oh, well, can I ask you a few things? Let them to the Lord. I think they called them back later. And I know my mom heard that story. She's done that with telemarketers in that way as well. Be careful if you call my mom. You're probably gonna hear the gospel. <laughs> so you, you know that you're gonna get the good news. You're gonna give it to them. You haven't they didn't have to leave their house. Somebody's calling me. Oh, great. Yeah, I'll take your survey. Hey, can I give you a survey at the end? All right, you know, have you repented of your sins and trusted Christ as Savior? Do you know you, have you, are you a good person? Have you ever lied, ever stolen, ever lusted? You know, take them through it. You, you got that opportunity. You can mail things out. You get all those return mails. I don't know how much junk mail you get with a return postage paid free on there. You got tracks out here stick them in there somebody's got to open it <laughs> send it back it's not computers or oh, everything you know it's not some automated deal somebody opens it somebody sees it people too. there's all kinds of ways support other like i can't get out i physically can't do it support a missionary pray for them intercede on their behalf Kenny and and will take it the burleys will take it camp will take it you know it's like they want that prayer cover you know, we have the RU. we'll take it you want a place to serve here locally Friday night, you come down here and serve. Get a chance to live the gospel out loud, watch people, help people. Talk alongside with them, pray for them, intercede on their behalf. There's opportunity. There's opportunity. And I just love that he spends that much time telling you that, When I came to die for you. I want you to know it. I didn't come to judge you. I didn't come to condemn you. I've come to rescue you. How many people see it when you start to present the gospel of that it's you condemning them, or you're not saying I'm good enough, or you're not this... So it's a trick that Satan plays, and so he's giving us the answer right here. He's like, no, he didn't come to condemn. He's come to save, and, and we're not done with the shit in this chapter. John the Baptist uh, takes up the rest of the chapter, but he, he comes back to this point as well and makes this point for us that Jesus Christ has come to save that which is lost. And if you're here this morning and you've never repented in the finished work of Jesus Christ, you've sat here and heard the gospel. We've talked about it. I've gone through the Bible verses and we've shown it. You're now more accountable. I don't feel bad for that. At least hope it's a stone in your shoe that it's something that's going to uh, be like a rock in your shoe you got to walk with you got to be like I got a rock in my shoe and you might have to shake it every once in a while and you jiggle around you finally have to sit down and deal with that rock I hope it's at least a stone in your shoe where it's like Christ died for me I, think I am a sinner do I love my sin more than I would love my own soul the Bible says what is it profit a profit of man if he gains the whole world and you lose your soul how long can you have the world. 75, 80, and then you die and it's eternity, forever lost, suffering for your sin, darkness, solitude, heat, memories of all the opportunities of salvation that you have, the wrath of God poured upon you, terrifies me that you can have salvation. He says, hey, I'll make you an adopted son a joint heir of Christ. I'll give you my kingdom. I'll give you eternal life, everlasting life. I'll make a new world. I'll terraform it. They'll do you no sin. I'll give you a new body. It'll be powerful. It'll be transformed. You'll be able to live forever. You'll be able to run and feel great and do all these different things. You'll be able to not sin anymore. It won't even be a temptation to you. I'm looking forward to a glorified body. We have all this. And earth too. We have the rest of life serving our king here and now. Then we have all that for eternity. So if you're here today and you don't know him as Savior, today's the day. Now is the time. It is a present. It is a free gift available to you now. Repent of your sins and trust in me. You. you can come to me during the song. You can come to me at the end of church. I would not wait. I would like to take the Bible and show you how you can know for sure you can have your sins forgiven. If you do know Christ as Savior. Just be telling people. Don't be one of those stories I use in a sermon later. I had somebody come up to me and say, I want to be lazy and not tell them. I think that is a loving thing to let them hear about the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's be the ones telling them. I got a tackle box out there. We got tracks in it. There's a couple more I've got coming in from some that you guys have asked for. I want to try to help encourage you in that way to be able to pass it out. Tracks only work while you're alive. You can't give it and put it in a casket. They're not going to read it. We got to give it to them here and now. DVD, you want that? You have some other idea. We'll work together with that idea to make sure that we can proclaim the gospel and get it out to them. Time is short. The end is sure. Be busy about the master's business. And I'm glad that we have a God who loves us enough he would send his only son, and he would give up all the glories of heaven, be he made one of us, to suffer in our place. He who knew no sin to be made sin, that serpent on a pole, judged for everything that I should have been judged for, so that I, an enemy of his, be adopted in his family, and to be right and live with him forever. Name a better opportunity. Name a better gift. Name a better proposal. Name something else better than that. Name some sin that is better than that. Well, right my cigarette I don't know what it might be what is it that is in your way you're gonna let that keep you out of eternity and trust in him if you want to quit that and he wants you to quit that he'll help you quit that or he'll remove that from your life he won't leave you on your own He'll surround you with us to help you if that's the place where you go hey I really need help with this could you guys partner with me in working on getting this out of my life yeah we'll do that that's what our you is is us going together saying I'm struggling will you guys pray for me we intercede on my behalf here's where I have troubles this week well, yes we will to the church body helping each other running this race pressing towards the mark so we can go before him and say thank you Lord thank you for what you've done we want to be good stewards of the gift of the gospel that you've given us we want to proclaim it to the uttermost parts of the earth